0: Well, thanks for joining us today as we uh, delve into our last week of SPARK and what does it look like to become a believer in anything? A believer in God, a believer in prayer, a believer that Christianity is just a bunch of hypocrites who are trying to serve themselves. Uh, What does it mean to believe that when life gets tough and challenges are coming our way, how do we really believe there's a, a good God? When our circumstances seem to say the opposite, when bad things happen to good pe- people or good things happen to bad people, I think there might be something in us that says, "I want to believe deeper about faith and God or Jesus." I just don't want to create like intellectual suicide and check my brain at the door or my questions at the door. And so, what is a spark? happened in our life? How do those sparks begin to help us move in a direction of leaning in to faith, to God, or to purpose? So if you're dialing with us today, if you're on in the atrium, I want to say again, welcome. Or those watching on live stream, we're going to hear another story today about someone who had a spark, and their life had an incredible legacy. It's one of those stories you may have never heard before, the story of someone who's life impacted hundreds and thousands of people. Her name was Amy. Amy was responsible starting a school, an orphanage with a special needs center and later a hospital. And it's here in this village that she created that she offered a family to those who'd never had a family before. And not only that, that school, that hospital, that special needs center create an apprenticeship program for those who came in as orphans, came back as mentors, who came back as room mothers, so to speak. And generationally, it's been going on for over 100 years even today. People investing in orphans, doctors going and getting their degrees, coming back and serving that place to give back to the place that gave to them. Yet this woman, Amy, after building all these things over all those years, she was from Ireland and Belfast, She would find herself in the last 20 years of her life bedridden, unable to get up because of an accident. How could a God, how could life have treated someone who'd done such amazing things with such a horrible tragedy to spend 20 years laying in bed? And yet it was during those 20 years that she wrote poems and songs. And books that inspired people on how to trust God, how to find faith, how to believe in a purpose even when you go through incredible difficulty. And even during those years, she sat in her house in that community she built with now hundreds of little girls that she had adopted and her community was taken care of. They called her Amma, which is the Indian word for mother. Amy Carmichael is known as the mother of India because of the spark that happened to her early in her life that led her to have the courage to see needs of those around her and dive into it. I mentioned she grew up in Belfast. She grew up in Belfast and even her parents noticed that she always had this kind of naughty side that liked to do courageous things. So much so that when she was young, she talked her brothers and sisters into coming outside and climbing up on their their tall slate roof. Which, again, if you've seen a slate roof, you know how slick those things are. They would climb to the top of this two story house and slide down the roof like it was a slide and stop themselves on the gutter before falling the next two stories. One time they did it and they saw mom and dad looking up at Amy and the brothers and sisters saying, What are you doing? She got a a talking to later about how naughty she was. She said, if you know how naughty I could be, you wouldn't realize I'm not naughty at all. And they recognized something in their daughter who was courageous. She wanted to take risks. She wanted to try new things. And they were people of faith, but she had some transforming sparks in her journey that got her interested in a life not just about herself, but about God and others. In fact, there was a verse in the Bible that struck her. became really a way of life for her. Jesus said that when he saw people in need, he had compassion for them. He saw, then he had compassion. And having been moved with compassion toward those in need, he went to them and he told those around him to be part of it, to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to raise up workers to help the needs around them. That became really the motto of her life. She wanted to be one of those laborers who made her life count, and yet her life is going to be filled with hardship and difficulty and challenges. And she's going to learn and teach to those who worked with her and those children that she mentored a lesson of the goldsmith, that so sometimes you've got to turn up the heat to purify the gold. In fact, there's going to be so many times that her life's going to be heated up with difficult circumstances and it's going to be hard to believe in God and believe that he's good. But God turns up the heat to purify the gold in our life. And I want you to understand God's heart for you. If you've been through difficulty, if you wondered about faith because of difficulty, if you've wondered what your purpose in life should be and how to find and navigate that, we want to discover God's heart for you and God's heart for the world in studying the, the story of Amy Carmichael. The three lessons of the goldsmith. The first lesson is I'm not going to look for purification until I see impurities, right? I don't need to be purified of anything if there isn't a problem. If I don't have problems in my own life, why would I think God wants, needs to purify me? If I don't see problems in the world, the problems of poverty, the problems of injustice, why would I move with compassion to go fix that stuff? See, Amy saw impurities in herself that she needed God to forgive her for. And it was out of that cleansing that she saw impurities in the world that she wanted to be part of helping. As I mentioned, she grew up in Ireland. In Ireland, in Belfast. And it was there with her father. They grew up in great wealth. But the heat got turned up because her father had invested some money with a friend and that friend was not able to pay it back. And the cascading of that decision led to his business starting to go under. He got sick and worried, and because of that, it led to some serious health complications, and he ended up dying of pneumonia. And now Amy Carmichael became a second mother with her mom to trying to raise her brothers and sisters. Well, she dove right in, and she tried to help help her mom with chores and try and make money, and she ended up working in the mills. Now her family was used to going to church. Her family was used to wearing nice things. And as a teenager, she was used to all the things that those in her society talked about. You know, who you are going to get married to one day? And what, what was it to marry into wealth? And, and what are the nicest clothes to wear? And what's the nicest hat you can buy for church? But now she was working to help provide for the family as they were going through difficulty. And she found herself not in the upper crust of the neighborhood, but in the lower crust working in the mills. She still attended the same church, but now her friends looked at her for not wearing the right things, looked down on her for her clothes not being as clean or as up to par as it used to be. But she had a profound moment one day. She speaks about it in her journal. She said that one day as she was coming home from church with all of her old friends and her parents' family, she saw an old woman, a ragged old woman, an impoverished woman who was walking through the streets carrying a heavy burden. She looked dirty, she looked poor, and she looked impoverished. She looked at all the Christian friends that she'd known who, who stepped away from her as she walked down the road, not wanting to get too close to someone from that part of town. And she felt like God was prompting her, even at a young age, to come and help. So this woman that was an outsider and being shunned, she came alongside her and she took this heavy burden off of her, she and her brothers and sisters. And they began to walk her down the road despite now getting looks from everybody from associating with her. And as she helped this woman get to her part of town and gave her the heavy burden back to bring into her home, she heard a voice say, all that is built out of hay and straw shall be burned. Only that which is gold and silver will survive the fire when the day is revealed. Like more than just a thought, like an almost audible voice she thought she heard. She turned around and there was no one there. What a weird thing to hear. But that impression, that thought so struck her. What am I building my life on? And is it stuff made out of hay and straw? Will the things I build on, will the characters I live by, will the convictions I surround myself by survive the fire? Am I building a life made of gold and silver? And that would motivate her life. In fact, she started a a little Bible study with her brothers and sisters and their neighborhood kids. She then began working in the mills. She began to find many people who were impoverished, and they didn't go to church because only people who wore hats go to church. Everybody at church had a hat because everybody at church could afford a hat, but not the folks who worked in the mill. They called them shawlies or shawlers because they always wore a shawl over their heads. They couldn't afford hats and they couldn't afford nice clothes. So working in the mill, she continued to have community centers. She continued to have little Bible studies for anyone who wanted to just check into this whole God thing. And sure enough, there were people started gathering, children started gathering, students started gathering, uh, adults started gathering. They wanted to hear about a God who loved them and cared for them, and their life really mattered. Now, she was again being shunned because she was now part of the shawleys. But this thing grew. She's in her 20s, and this thing grew and grew and grew. She decides, i got to find a building for this place. She builds a church in her 20s for those living in the, in the mills and the shawlies, and, and she got one of her, her, her parents' friends who had such a heart for the poor to say, I want to be part of that. They got this little piece of land. They put a facility on top of it. They paid 500 pounds for it, and she found a way to get it paid off within a year by having parties with bands and ventriloquists coming in and people gathering together to raise funds. And every week was something fun, a Bible study, an opportunity. And she named this place not so-and-so Baptist Church or so-and-so Presbyterian Church. No, no. She called it Welcome Home. This was a place that you would always feel at home and you'd have a family. This idea was that she felt at an early age that God was sparking in her a desire to help and serve those who were outcasts, who'd been pushed away by other people. You see, she discovered that God had forgiven her of her impurities, of everything she did wrong, and God was asking her, and she felt this from the Bible—a phrase that says, "Who will I send? Send me." She saw the impurities in the world and the impurities in herself, and she felt called to go and be part of God's purifying journey. In Isaiah, in a book in the Old Testament, there's a vision that Isaiah has of standing before the throne room of God, seeing all of God's purity, all of God's kindness, all of God's love. And Isaiah is so struck in light of just how bright and pure and, and, and holy God is, whole, holy, like the whole of peace, the whole best kind of love, that he steps back and he says, woe is me. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I, I, I could never be worthy of God's presence. And God sends an angel to him in this dream with a coal, a hot coal, But the coal doesn't burn him, they touch it to his lips, and it says, you are now clean and cleansed, for this coal has touched your lips, your sin has been purged, and your iniquity has been taken away. It goes on, Isaiah, to say, and there's a whole world that needs to know this message, who shall I send? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Well, she heard that as clear as a day, and she felt like God was asking her to leave in her mid-twenties, Belfast, Ireland, and head to India. She has some time in Japan before that, but she ends up in India, and she feels like she wants to tell people in India, which was predominantly Hindu, about this message of God purging us and forgiving us, and, and life could be more than karma. You always get what you deserve. No, it could be grace and mercy. You don't always get what you deserve. And when she went out to speak on the street corners, no one gave a rip. She felt like a failure day after day after day. She had rocks thrown at her. And she couldn't understand why she'd be sent to be such a failure. But she'd also heard that there was a practice. This is in the 1900s, 1901. A practice of families in India who would give their children to the temple gods. Because if you gave your daughter away, the gods would be happy with you. She didn't know exactly what that meant. She'd heard of it, but never been close to it. Unbeknownst to her, there's a little girl named Prina, whose mother had given her away to the temple. And that little girl would face darkness, be forced into prostitution, forced into an evil that most of us will never know. She escaped after a few weeks. She wandered through the woods. She made her way back to her mom's house and Prina begged her mom, please don't send me back there. I broke out, I'm free. And her mom walked Prina back to the temple and back into the darkness. Now, Prina had heard rumors of a blue-eyed woman, an Irish woman in India. The temple guards had said, oh, she's the child stealer, don't go near her. But she said, I want to find someone like that because when she returned, the temple guards branded her hands to let her know you better never try and escape again. Little did she know the next morning she decided she was going to try to escape. Unbeknownst to her, Amy Carmichael happened to be in the same town in India that day, just around the corner from the temple, having her morning coffee, her morning tea. And as she was drinking her tea, she saw a little girl named Prina running as fast as she could down the street. As she came to her, she saw her white skin, and she saw her blue eyes, and she ran to her and she said, Will you help me? Will you help me? I'm running from temple. And Amy put her arms around Prina and took her. To a, to a place she had in the countryside there. And she held her and she talked to her. She stroked her hair. Prina said, oh, I wish my own mother could have protected me and loved me like this. And she, she called Amy Amma, Amma, which is Indian for mother. The temple guards showed up and said, you give her back to us. We have permission from her parents to have her. And Amy said, oh, no, I'm not giving her back to you. And those guards left and didn't return and it was the beginning of God beginning to teach people about the love of Jesus in a way she never anticipated when she left Ireland. She began to tell these little girls that they were loved and they were cared for and God had a purpose for them and God could use them. In a culture that was demeaning them and using them, they mattered to God. It was one child, then two, then three, then four. Children began to come and this this little this little one girl she helped turned into a community. She began to divide the girls up where there was kind of a room of her mother that would take care of one and they were dividing the little communities. It was a powerful, powerful powerful thing that God redirected her from one path to another as she became Alma, the mother of India. She writes about how God used that process of purification through her life to get her away from selfishness, thinking it was about her failure, about her plan. Her quotes are powerful. Let me give you one of them. Here's what she said. Let us not be surprised when we have to face difficulties. When the wind blows hard on a tree, the roots stretch and grow stronger. Let it be so with us. Let us not be weaklings, yielding to every wind that blows, but strong in spirit to resist. She went on to talk about her own need for purifying from from selfishness. She said this, Those who think too much of themselves don't think enough. If I myself dominate myself, if my thoughts revolve around myself, if I am so occupied with myself, I rarely have a heart at leisure from itself, and I know nothing of Calvary's love. Calvary, speaking of the mountain that Jesus died on, that Jesus came to die because you and I need to be purified. And it's out of the motivation of what he's done for us. It's no longer about self. Even self-image is too low a bar. Self-concept is too low because they're never going to raise you as high as God-image. Because how God sees us is always higher than how we see ourselves or how the culture speaks to us. And that motivated her to live a life of service. The second lesson of the goldsmith is that God often needs to burn the the debris of self with a life of service to others. But what motivated her was not just doing nice things so God would be happy with her. It's no, God is happy with me because he served me on the cross. And because God loves me and purified me, I want to live a life of service to others. And in the act of serving others, God will burn away more and more self. You see that little orphanage? She was now a, a mom still trying to go into town to tell people about, about life and purpose while taking care of now one, two, three, four dozen kids. The school added a special needs school for those who had special needs. They later added a hospital. As generations began to grow, they would come back and serve as mothers to the previous generation. There were even some boys, not a lot, because most people got rid of girls in that culture for two reasons. Number one, the temple wanted them. Two, they were expensive because of the dowry for their wedding, so families gave them away. But here in this community, they were loved and they were honored and they were taught about God's love and Jesus' love and that they mattered and they could transform the world and they were, they were made with a purpose. Oh, the dark side of that culture is these little innocent girls were taught how to dance and they were taught to love music, and yet that was turned and twisted in the darkness. As it was used in temple but here the beauty and innocence of music and dancing was fresh again it was innocent again in fact that hospital that they built there years later there was several people who graduated from their schools and then their boarding schools that came after it they went and became the top doctors in the country of india and of all the places they could serve they came back here to those who had invested in them one woman serves, does 16-hour shifts a day and then volunteers for third shift because she loves giving back to those who saved her life. When Amy Carmichael died, everyone would gather together, even when she was living, on December 16th that's her birthday. See, one of the things she did besides caring for the girls and loving for the girls is she taught them songs for everything. She loved writing little songs. So as they made rice together, they had the song about making rice and the song about baking rice. They had a song about every tree they planted in the garden. There was a, a song about that tree and this tree and a song about this insect and this bug. And so every year to this day on December 16th, they come together and they sing the songs of Amy Carmichael, the songs of putting joy and song and innocence back into your life. Now thousands and thousands of multi-generational. One woman in her 80s has been building toys now for 20 years to give out to all the children who serve in the community. She loved taking the kids on field trips. In fact, she took the the little girls one time and they went and saw a goldsmith. they had never seen gold being purified, but gold's a big deal in India. As the goldsmith got down and the girls came around the goldsmith, there were a couple of boys involved because several of the men who were dropped off the community, little boys, uh, they became what were known as big brothers. They came back and would, would just speak the loving words of a man into the community as well. And as they gathered around the goldsmith that day, they watched as he turned up the heat and the impurities would bubble up to the top of the gold and he would scrape off the dross. Well, not with his hand, but he'd scrape off the dross. And then they watched as he turned the heat up the gold looked purified, but as the heat was turned up, more and more would bubble to the top, and he would scrape off the dross. As the little girls and Amy began to ask questions, they said, How do you know when the gold is pure? He looked up in them in the eye and he said, Oh, that's easy. The gold has been purified when I can see my reflection in it. Well, that struck Amy. Because as she thought about the hardship in her life, often it feels like God is angry at you for letting bad things happen, for turning up the heat. But what if God is using the challenges and circumstances and heat of your life to bring impurities, unkindness, a complaining spirit, an ungrateful attitude that's easy to hide when things are going well, but he's bubbling those things up so he can scrape it off the top. And how does God know when you're done? when he can see his reflection in your life. See, the Bible says that you and I were made in his image, but something about that got distorted. And so we don't live out the image that he's placed upon us, and he has to heat it up. It's exactly what it says in Zechariah. God uses a goldsmith analogy, just like Amy found that day. Here's what God says. He says, I will bring the one-third through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them and I will say, this is my people. And each one will say, this is my God. God says, the reason I've got the heat up is not because I'm mad at you. It's not because I don't love you. It's because I do love you. And there's some impurities in you that you don't see and I'm, I'm turning up the heat so I can purify you and test you. And have you become the best version of yourself? My reflection that's built into you and designed in you reflects back now through you. As you think about this last year, have you felt the heat turned up? Have you wondered if God is good and can you really believe in a God who would let this or that happen to you? What if you began to think of a God who loved you enough to turn up the heat because he's trying to purify you, draw near to you, see his reflection in you? Well, the third lesson of the goldsmith is probably the hardest. Amy loved being active, but often resting coals can be more useful than a blazing fire. There's something awesome about making a big bonfire, having people gather around, but you don't make s'mores unless you're one of those people who eat the marshmallows and been burned. Are you one of those people? Probably those atrium people do that. No, no, you do not want the burned marshmallow for s'mores. That's not how you make s'mores. Right? The blazing fire is great, but you want to make s'mores, you wait for the fire to go down. And it's coals. Hot coals. And it's those glowing coals, not as impressive as a blazing fire, that can often be more useful in making s'mores and telling stories around the campfire. Amy wasn't someone who liked to rest, yet 20 years prior to her death, she found herself going village to village, and she didn't see a giant hole. She fell into it and broke her back. She prayed for healing from the gods she'd served so well. She asked for help, and she felt as clear as she's ever heard, God saying, it's time for a new season. And that would be a long season. And many of you know what that season is like, because you've had a health crisis and you can't do things you used to do. Or you're caring for someone who's wrestling with that. My grandfather was a Marine. He loved doing everything for everybody. And I took care of my grandfather between my freshman and sophomore year of college. I helped him. I fed him. I wiped him. And grandpa hated every minute of it. He hated being a burden to others. He didn't know how to embrace this season. It felt so meaningless and so useless. But Amy decided if this is what God had for her, how could she make a difference? And so sure enough, she laid on a bed in that community. She, she still picked out the flowers and the trees in the garden. She had kids come in and she would tell stories to them. She would tell the stories of the mountain, as she said. She said, we're all on a mountain. We're climbing to the top and I'm on the top and I've been there. You're going to fall, but get back up. I'm on the top of a mountain saying, you can do it. I'm here for you. She wrote hymns that got put into hymnals. She wrote poems and stories that became books that went all over the world. She had as much impact, but different impact, laying in bed than she did all those years working out in the garden, in the hospital, and the special needs center. And then one day she passed away and they buried her out in the garden in that community. In fact, it's interesting that the architecture is made out of red brick with every flower she picked with kids and girls all over the community that she'd invested in and people she'd invested in who'd invested into others there. And she was buried there in the garden at the community at the orphanage center that she founded. And they put a little bird bath as her tombstone that says, Amma, mother. To a world who needed to see the love of God, the motherly love of God, in a way they were not seeing in their culture and were not being affirmed in their day. They were taught what family looked like, what forgiveness looked like, what a God who could be good and give you the power you need to face challenges look like because of Amy Carmichael, Amma. See, resting coals can be more powerful than a blazing fire. And one of the verses she read and became a favorite later in her life was in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Maybe you'll recognize the words which say, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. For he himself will be saved, but through fire. It speaks of the main message of the Bible. You don't get to heaven by doing good works. You get to heaven because God, Jesus, endured the fire for us on the cross. But knowing that God died for you, that God loved you, that God served you in such a way, God asked you to use your life as a stewardship of time, energy, and money. And how you live your life You may get to heaven, but you will be tested. Everything you've ever done will be tested by fire. Anything done for self will be burned away. But those things done to serve others, to serve God, will stand the test. And what gold and silver remains of the fire that burns up all that was selfish in that day, God will reward you for it. So if you've been taking care of someone and it's wearing you out, God's going to reward you in ways you can't imagine if you swallowed your pride when you knew you wanted to strike back in an argument with your spouse or with your dad or with your daughter, God's going to reward you for that humility and that kindness, choosing to forgive when you want to be bitter. You see, that voice she heard on the street that many years ago in Belfast was an exact quote from the Bible. It became the motivation for her life. Living a life of building things that really matter in the scheme of eternity. So how about you? Is God turning up the heat? Where might God be turning up the heat in your life to purify you into gold? You're probably a pretty good person, but might there be ways in which God's challenging you to serve others in ways you're currently not? Is God calling you to be generous with your patience, generous with your time, generous with your money in ways that you never have? Is God asking you to go in a new direction where you thought, God, I wanted to go here, but this last year redirected you here, but God might have an even better plan for you? Might you be able to trust that God's purifying you through a new season, a season you didn't want, and don't like, but he could use? Might God motivate you to have compassion, to to uninsulate yourself from the world around you and see the needs around you that that you've blocked out, to become curious about faith in God. I don't know what God's calling you to do, but as a church, we want to help. We do Sunday services to help with that. We have Bible studies for men, for women, for couples. We want to help you be curious about what God might be doing in your life is there really a God who can be good if my life just seems so hot and difficult right now? And there's a God with incredible timing. That same timing had Amy Carmichael there drinking her tea on the same day that Prima ran out. It's the same God just last week that had one of our volunteers who generously gives of her time to serve the kids in our ministry and to serve people at our church. The last week she came in on the second year anniversary of her father's death. And I wasn't supposed to speak last week because we had a guest speaker planned who canceled. And I did a talk on C.S. Lewis, kind of last minute I put together, and we decided to talk about grief. And if you were here, you know, Kenny and the team played Fire and Rain by James Taylor. And We talked about grieving. And afterwards, she's not a crier. She said, I was in tears. God was with me. It was such a gift that on the second year anniversary of my father's death that you would talk about grief and dealing with grief and how God is with me in the grief. And the reason we serve, the reason we give financially to Horizon, serve your kids, uh, greet you at the door, is because God has been so good to us. We want to create environments that you can discover God will be good to you. God may be setting your life ablaze, but it's not because he's against you. It's because he's trying to purify you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this incredible story of a woman who did these amazing things for you simply by saying, here am I, send me. In Jesus' name, amen.